this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the in focus podcast i am your host g sampad it is now exactly 2 months since the start of the ukraine war what many especially in the west thought might be a quick assault resulting in regime change and russian control over ukraine has actually devolved into a grinding war of attrition while russia has made territorial gains it has also suffered heavy losses the ukrainian armed forces have been putting up a stiff fight especially around urban centers and the national capital of kiev is still free in the meantime the west led by the us and nato has been supporting the ukrainian resistance in two ways by keeping up a steady supply of military and economic aid and by imposing heavy economic sanctions on russia and russia on its part has been periodically recalibrating its military strategy so far diplomatic efforts from the likes of turkey france and israel to broker peace have failed meanwhile civilian casualties continue to rise and the destruction of civilian infrastructure also goes on unabated so where exactly do all these players stand after 2 months of heavy fighting how have their stakes changed and have their political positions hardened or softened compared to 2 months ago we look for some answers from stanley johnny the hindus international affairs editor stanley thank you so much for joining us thanks ambar thanks for having me uh, stanley so now that uh, it's been 2 months and it things don't seem to be sort of uh, going towards any kind of a conclusion or an end or a resolution here could you give us some kind of a broad stock taking perspective of the war say from the vantage point of the different uh, agency or russia ukraine nato and the eu yeah so if you look at it from the russian point of view uh somebody as you mentioned in the intro the russians have made territorial gains you just take a plain look at the map you would understand that they have taken territories along the eastern ukraine and then towards its south southern coast and mariupol which is uh, which is the second largest city on the sea of us of coast uh, is now controlled by the russians and uh, they took kherson in the very early stages of the war but at the same time we also know that the russians took it took 50 over 50 days to take mariupol and the russian military advances are very slow and uh, given the imbalance in power between russia and ukraine russia is a military superpower and ukraine uh you know uh, was nothing in 2014 when the russians took crimea so given that imbalance the russian advances are pretty slow this has created some kind of uh, an impression that the russians were failing uh in ukraine if you look at the larger context that has kind of boosted i think the ukrainian morale and if you look at the whole conflict from, from the ukrainian point of view yes they lost the territories but they fought very well they continue to resist the russian attacks uh, especially you know uh, in the north especially in the surroundings of kiev uh, so even in 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 the loss they continue to lose territories but at the same time their resistance i think was stronger than you know many expected even their partners in the west expected and if you look at it from the western point of view i think everybody expected the russians would meet their military objectives whatever those were quickly and it didn't happen and uh, uh, you know since it didn't happen that opened fresh avenues uh, for the west which is the main opponent of 
Russia in this conflict. And you see uh, the West initially, they kept saying that this is not a conflict between us and Russia. We are only helping Ukraine, minor power, to sustain its system or territorial, protect its territorial integrity or whatever. Now, the West is openly saying that we want a weakened Russia. So it's now out in the open. I mean, it's like this is something which the Russians have been saying all through. They say that we are the target. And the West is now indirectly admitting uh, that, yes, the Russians are the target. We want a weaker Russia. So what we can say is that, yeah, 60, 60 days after the conflict began, the Russians made territorial gains. They keep making territorial gains. But they took uh, hit in terms of uh, you know the impression about Russian power and the Ukrainians lost territory but they resisted well and the West found new opportunities to continue uh, to press ahead with their actual strategic goals which is to weaken Russia as a great power. Right and uh... Two months down the line, how do you think the Russian military strategy has changed, if it indeed has changed from the early days of the war onwards? Because we, as you said, many expected uh, Russia to achieve its military objectives fairly quickly. But uh, now it's, it's sort of see, caught in a war of attrition. So uh, we also read about how I think it's sort of shifting its forces from the north to the east and the south. Uh, so what is going on in terms of its military approach to the war as a whole? Yeah, I think the Russians have adapted to the new reality uh, because when the war started, uh, you see, the Russians had mobilized some 200,000 troops, according to Western estimates, uh, less than 200,000 troops. And Ukraine had a standing army of 600,000 soldiers. So, logically speaking, you can't have a land war to capture the whole of Ukraine with less than 200,000 troops against a defensive army of 600,000. So, I think the, the Russian plan from the very beginning was, the Russian military goals from the very beginning was either limited, in a sense, they wanted to, whatever, uh, instead of taking over the whole of Ukraine, they wanted to take over parts of Ukraine, and they wanted to do it quickly. So, like what happened in 2008 in Georgia, the Russian troops went in, the Georgian defenses collapsed, and the war was wrapped up in 12 days. Maybe the Russians expected that, since Russia is a military superpower and once Russians go in, Ukrainian defenses would collapse so that the Russians could take over the Russian-speaking cities in Ukraine's east and south, which starts from Kharkiv, which is a, you know, a few dozens of kilometers from the Russian border. Kharkiv and the whole of Donbass and Lugansk, that includes Mariupol, the, uh, the whole of Donetsk and Luhansk, that includes Mariupol, and then uh, you know, on the south, including Kherson, of course, Mykolaiv, and Odessa, which is on the Black Sea. I mean, this is my personal assessment because we don't know what actually their goals were. But I think this is what the Russians wanted to take over the Russian-speaking cities quickly. Because, uh, you know, the whole idea of the military intervention was that if the Russians had met their military objectives quickly, that means like what happened in 2014 the takeover of Crimea was so quick and without shedding any blood. So that left Ukrainian leadership or the West, you know, with not many options but to adapt to the reality and then impose some sanctions on the Russia, on the Russians. 
I think the Russians wanted to do the same thing. But the problem was that in 2014 or, in, or, or even in 2008 during the Georgian war, nobody expected the Russians to move in. There was this sense of unpredictability. But here, I think the biggest problem with uh, Putin's strategy was that he's been mobilizing troops for months. And the Americans kept telling the world that the war is coming, the war is coming. And the Russians said, no, we are not going to go in. But eventually they went in. So the unpredictability factor was not there. Also from 2014, NATO and the West, they were training the Ukrainian forces. And the Ukrainians were waiting for this, uh, kind of, they were expecting this to happen. So there was no unpredictability factor here. The Ukrainian troops were better prepared because they were expecting this actually to happen. And then when it actually happened, they resisted very well. So that's what we saw in, in, the, in the cities. So this, I think the Russians, but eventually realized that their plan was, I think, to surround Kiev initially and then move towards the east and then take quick victories. That didn't happen. And once they realized that that didn't happen, they eventually pulled back troops from around Kiev, the capital city. But then they continued to focus on the east. So now if you look at the conflict, if you look at the conflict map, you know, at least for the last few weeks, the Russians stayed focused on Mariupol because they wanted the city and they got Mariupol. And now they would move towards other, whatever, uh, you know, the Russian general last week said that they want the whole of uh, East and the whole of South, which means the Russians, this is the first time they made their territorial gains public, which means the Russians would need Mykolaiv, Russians would need Kharkiv. The Russians would need uh, Odessa. So they are going to attack these cities. That's what uh, we, uh, you know, understand from what the Russian general said last week. So which also means that the Russians would stay focused on their actual military goals in Ukraine. This also means that this war would, war is likely to continue for some time. It's not going to end anytime soon. Because we also saw that the heavy artillery being sent to Ukraine uh, from the West, from the United States, from France, etc., etc., and uh, this is actually to prepare the Ukrainian forces for the coming battles. So uh, it could be in Mykolaiv, it could be in Odessa. We don't know which city the Russians are going to target next, but they have already made it public that they want the whole of Ukraine's eastern uh, and southern parts, which includes the whole of Ukrainian southern coast. That would allow the Russians to link up with Transnistria which is a strip of territory along the Mol Moldovan border, which is already controlled by pro-Russian separatists in Transnistria. And then the Russians have already established a land bridge from continental Russia uh, to Crimea now, with Mariupol, including the Mariupol port, uh, sitting in their hands under their control. Now, from a military point of view, they want to extend it further towards Odessa, linking up with Transnistria. Then if you look at the map, the arc of Ukraine's southern coast, the entire coast, would be under the Russian control if the Russians manage to meet their military goals. And the Ukrainians on the other side seem determined to stop Russia from meeting these goals. This is the current status quo. Right. So one of the things uh, which came up uh, uh, when you were outlining uh, the Russian program, so to speak, is their uh, determination to control uh, the coastline all the way up to Odessa. But and, and and in this context, I mean, like we saw with Crimea, there wasn't there wasn't expected any resistance from the Russian-speaking cities, right? Uh, and Odessa, they have 
uh, it's it's clearly Russian speaking uh, dominated city, but they have been bombing Odessa as well. So is it is it unexpected that Russian speaking cities are not really welcoming the Russian forces? Uh, we never know because Mariupol, for example, we have uh, the example of Mariupol before us. So Mariupol is, uh, you know, it had a pre-war population of uh, 500,000 people and 60 to 70 percent, according to some estimates, Russian speaking. And there were conflicting reports coming out of Mariupol where some sections of the population say that they were held hostage by the Azov battalion. And on the other side, many other people in Mariupol saying that they were uh, they were devastated by the Russian bombing because apparently all the satellite images tell us that the city was uh, bombed heavily or shelled heavily over the last 60 days. So the Russian-speaking population are there, but the problem is that on the one side they are now living in living under complete bombardment. That of course is a problem. And on the other side, the defensive forces are either Ukrainian forces or what we call these Nazi battalions. So they were also holding people to ransom. And uh, there were multiple reports coming out of uh, Mariupol how the South Battalion used civilians as, uh, you know, human shields, etc., etc. And on the other side, of course, it is established that the Russians were also targeting civilians. So it is a very complicated picture, I think. Beyond your loyalty or whatever, people are living under bombardment on the one side. And the defensive forces, forces are actually Ukrainian forces, though. They would not surrender. Uh, in Mariupol, actually, in fact, I think few weeks ago, the Russians had offered to evacuate civilians through Donbas, to Donbas, uh, to the other Donbas region. But the Ukrainian authorities and even the defensive forces in Mariupol uh, rejected this offer. They decided to continue to fight because the Ukrainians said that uh, they would be willing uh, to accept the evacuation only if uh, people are allowed to travel to the western parts of Ukraine, uh, not to further east, which is already controlled by the rebels. Uh, so it's a pretty complicated picture. We can't really say who is supporting whom when we look at the population in these cities. And what happens to the people who are, uh, are they still holed up in that uh, steel plant in Azov? Uh, uh, there was some kind of a situation where Russia claimed that it had captured the entire Mariupol except for one steel plant, which is still uh, with the Ukrainians. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, see, uh, the whole city is in the Russian hands. There is no doubt about it. But there are a few hundreds of fighters who are holed up in this steel plant. And the Russians decided, we had this dramatic, uh, you know, TV conversation between Putin and his uh, defense minister. So uh, basically the Russians decided to seal off the steel plant instead of storming it. Because storming it means you will have to destroy the entire facility. And also you might even take further casualties of Russian troops. Instead, since you control the whole city, including its openings, including the port, you seal it off and then wait out till the forces who are stuck inside uh, the steel plant to come out and surrender or whatever. I think that's what that's what uh, the Russians are doing now. Uh, but I don't think, uh, you know, there were uh, some narratives saying that Mariupol, still some resistance is there. I think the, the steel plant or even, even if there are a few hundreds of uh, soldiers stuck inside the steel plant, uh, it is not going to pose any serious threat to the Russian control over the city because are they going to get resupplies? No, they are not. The whole city is now in the Russian hands. Will they be able to turn around the battle for Mariupol sitting inside the steel plant? No, they can't. 
so it's practically speaking it's a matter of time before they either they surrender or the russians capture them right now moving on to uh, the political uh, theater in terms of what's going on we know that the us secretary of state uh, antony blinken and the defense secretary lloyd austin uh, visited kiev uh, over the weekend last sunday and monday and they met the ukrainian president zelensky and this is uh, clearly the most high profile visit by american uh, state department officials so what uh, in your view was the purpose of this visit i mean why was it necessary what what is it about i mean if they if it's about announcing fresh military aid and they did announce about 713 million us dollars in addition to the 800 uh, million dollars announced earlier uh, that could have been just announced sitting in washington dc so why was this visit made is it about signaling is it about something more uh, yeah uh, i think the signaling is very important because this is the first time uh, lloyd austin said or the american said any top american official said that this is now between the united states and russia so ukraine is of course ukraine is the main vehicle of this resistance but lloyd austin said that we want a weaken russia which means the united states is seeking further weakening of russia as one of its foreign policy objectives that makes the conflict between the united states and russia which is now you know which is in the public we heard that yesterday i think this was the signaling was very important and uh, yes the united states by sending two of its top most officials to ukraine is saying that we stand uh, solidly behind ukraine and the united states would continue to supply weapons and monetary assistance to ukraine to help it prepare for the coming battles and the united states would continue to seek weakening of russia and uh, blinken also tried to create a new narrative saying that the russians are failing uh, in their overall war effort uh, so this is uh, basically a cold war language so what we are seeing now is that what began as within courts a special military russian special military operation in ukraine has now clearly snowballed into us russia cold war type rivalry and yesterday we saw its sharpest manifestation in kiev when lloyd austin visited there and made these statements so yes uh, i think this is uh, pretty important the visit was pretty important and the united states would continue to militarily bolster the ukrainian regime to further delay the conflict or to further delay the russian military advances in the east and the south and now that the russians have also said what they want they made it public you know they can't uh, back off if they back off in the future clearly there is a case to say that the russians have failed because now earlier the russians hadn't they said denazification and demilitarization which was very vague we didn't know what their actual military goals were but now we know the russian general himself has said and on the other side uh, we also know that what the what the americans want because earlier the russians said the united states wants to weaken us the united states wants to bring regime change in uh, moscow then the americans denied it but president biden himself uh, said it on record that putin doesn't have the moral right to remain in pres- remain president and the americans also said that they want a weaker russia so i think it's now the picture is now clearer i mean ukraine is of course it's it's got stuck in between but this is between the united states and russia right you may have seen uh, this uh, meme or Uh, some might say it's a propaganda russian propaganda whatever but uh, it became quite uh, trending and popular for some time and where it said basically that the americans will fight russia to the last ukrainian 
so is that sort of uh, i don't know how one would uh, frame that given what we know and what we have seen in the last two months yeah uh, it's true uh, in a sense uh, biden administration from the very beginning said that you know biden himself said that he doesn't want a third world war so there won't be a direct military confrontation but at the same time they would uh, continue to back ukrainians militarily but i think uh, this uh, we have to wait and see how the russian military do you think russia is in a much weaker position now than at the start of the war uh, despite whatever territorial gains it may have made you know um, there is a setback i we I, i will put it this way there is a setback to russia in terms of uh, what we say the impression the idea of russian power clearly because i think everybody expected the russians to take quick victory that didn't happen and the 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 setback to the idea of the russian power that could translate into it actually into military weakness but if you look at as of now if you look at the battlefield then the russians haven't suffered any major setbacks in terms of their battlefield advances uh, but i think it would be tested in odessa because odessa is what we call the pearl of the black sea and the ukrainians over the last two months are definitely backing up defenses of the city and the russians lost moskva one of their flagship uh, warships in the black sea and their ability to reinforce their black sea fleet would also be limited because the turks may not allow uh, russia to bring in more uh, assets uh, more naval assets into the black sea waters so they will have to fight with whatever they have assembled within the inside the black sea right now and everybody was expecting the russians to launch an amphibious land landing on odessa while at the same time attacking uh, you know uh, launching a land war from from the northeastern side of the city so this would be i think the major test of russia's military capabilities because uh, yes uh, the russians russian military advances are slow but there are russian military advances right so despite uh, all the military support ukraine was getting the terrain uh, the battlefield experts were telling us that uh, in eastern ukraine the terrain is it is it's, it's practically plains so they you that's why both sides are using heavy artilleries still the russians they, they were making incremental advances but still they continue to make advances almost uh, the entire luhansk is now under the russian control and in donetsk as we saw including mariupol and they are they keep making advances in donetsk as well so the thing is that actually yeah there are slow movements but there are movements but the question is whether ukraine would be able to stall these russian advances is the question and the american approach is it is two ways one you know by imposing sanctions on russia economic sanctions on russia they wanted to kind of restrict the russian ability to make more weapons and more technologies quickly so that that would kind of keep its military war machine stronger and secondly by targeting its revenues the russian revenues again to weaken its war machine by targeting its economic might that's what the americans are currently doing so this is a long term game a long term game so in the short to medium term you see the americans only bet is to give more weapons to the ukrainians so that they could delay the russian advances they haven't halted the russian advances yet so uh, we have to see what is happening in odessa so we discussed it earlier also in our previous podcast where i said the russians were making advances and now when we discuss this mariupol is in the hands of the russians the ukrainians keep losing territories 
So what is next? Whether Ukraine would be able to stop Odessa being taken over by the Russians, Mykolaiv being taken over by the Russians, the South Ukraine plan. I think the Russians clearly want the South Ukraine plan as well because from the very beginning, the Russians have specifically moved into all the nuclear facilities. Chernobyl, uh, Saporizhia, and uh, the South Ukraine nuclear plant is just north of Mykolaiv. So they might take Mykolaiv and then move towards South, South Ukraine nuclear plant. Why? Because the Russians, you know, I don't know whether it is disinformation or conspiracy theories or whatever, but the Russians kept saying that something fishy was happening in all the nuclear facilities of Ukraine and they wanted to take over the nuclear facilities. So the Russians have a plan, right? And they move according to that plan, but they are slow. That is a fact that we have to admit. So we have to see what is happening in Mykolaiv and Odessa. Right. So now uh, coming back to the diplomatic theater here, uh, the UN Secretary uh, General Antonio Guterres is meeting Putin uh, today, sometime today, and he's going to be meeting Zelensky later this week. And this is uh, considered significant because I mean, where, where everybody's sort of trying to blackball uh, Moscow, as it were, this is uh, the UN chief visiting Moscow for the first time since the war began. And uh, he has already been criticized very severely by uh, Zelensky. Uh, saying you should not have met Putin first, you should have met me first because what is he going to do? He's just going to you know, meet Putin first and convey Putin's message to me. Is that what is it going to be? And uh, that's and that's sort of uh, been uh, very widely sort of uh, supported by, I think, parts of uh, the Ukrainian commentators as well. So what, do you, what is your assessment of this visit by the Secretary General and, and Zelensky's criticism of it? Uh, I don't see any merit in that. I mean, you can you can meet whoever you want to. You can meet Zelensky also first. But what is the point? If you want to find a diplomatic solution, if you want to end this conflict, you will have to meet Putin. Right? There is no other way. There is no other go. Because uh, from the UN Secretary General or whoever it is, if you are looking for a solution to this crisis, you need to talk to the guys who are involved in this crisis. You need to meet Putin. You need to talk to him. You have to ask him what he wants. You have to ask for a for the you have to explore the possibilities of a climb down. Uh, these are, I think, uh, avenues of diplomacy, and uh, there is nothing wrong in doing it. You, I mean, my point is that you can't completely cut off Putin from everything and then expect him to back down and end this conflict. That's not going to happen. And the Russians, from the very beginning, they had some concerns and they kept uh, expressing their concern. Ukraine also has its concern; it is losing its territories. Its uh, sovereignty is being violated, etc., etc. So you need to find a solution to this. But unfortunately, that is not happening. That is the actual problem. The best possibility for finding a solution was the Istanbul talks. Uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, everybody was, because the Ukrainians had made a proposal, the Russians had decided to pull back troops from Kyiv. There were uh, reciprocal uh, reciprocity from both sides. And at least the possibility of um, some kind of uh, uh, ceasefire was there. But now, look at it. Now everybody is talking about uh, continuing the war. Yeah, why did the Istanbul uh, talks fail? I mean, is it because everybody has decided that the war can only be uh, resolved militarily? Or is there, there, is, is, is there a consensus now then uh, that a mediation, mediated or a negotiated solution is no longer possible? If that is the case, then what is the UN Secretary General going to do? Uh, yeah, Istanbul talks. We don't know why did actually why did it actually collapse. But if you look at the chronology of the events, Istanbul talks. The Ukrainians said that uh, 
they will accept neutrality they are ready for a 15 year consultation period for crimea and then zelensky said he is willing to discuss the future of donetsk and luhansk in a direct summit with putin and putin's negotiator said that once the concrete proposals are on the table putin would consider meeting zelensky in person this was the first time the russian said that and the russian defense ministry said that yeah as a goodwill gesture they will withdraw troops from kiev which uh, from around from the surroundings of kiev which immediately uh, the americans immediately dismissed the russian uh, offer saying that you can't trust them but actually the russians actually pulled back troops from around kiev uh, but then immediately the bucha scenes emerged right in bucha you found bodies uh, and then the russians were blamed for carrying out the killings and then the ukrainian said that this is uh, war crimes etc etc biden called it a genocide and then suddenly we saw that the entire istanbul process was melting down now nobody is talking about it now the russians say that the ukrainians had walked back on the promises they made and uh, the ukrainians on the other side are, are uh, blaming russia for carrying out this extrajudicial killings etc etc in bucha so we actually don't know what happened but this is the chronology of the events Right. I mean, uh, it, it does seem uh, pretty weird that when you are uh, about to sit down for talks in Istanbul, just exactly the same moment your own troops are going to be go, uh, going ahead and doing a, a war crime level massacre of civilians. Uh, that does sound, uh, I, don't, I don't know, pretty weird uh, to sort of think about. Right. Uh, we need to wind up. Stanley, any final comments before we wrap up? No, uh, uh, in a sense, uh, if we look at the conflict now, just uh, as I said earlier, the Istanbul talks were the best possibility to find find a solution. Solution in a sense, at least a ceasefire. I think that moment has passed. Now, we don't know whether Gutierrez's uh, uh, visit would kind of revive some possibility for peace, uh, but uh, we have to uh, wait and see. I think the best possibility is still for both the Russians and the Ukrainians is to reach some kind of a ceasefire and then start negotiations on the critical issues including ukraine's neutrality the status of crimea the status of donbass but uh, it's evident that uh, you know some powers who are involved in this conflict do not want peace to prevail immediately so they want the conflict to be prolonged so that is what is i think actually happening now right Thank you so much, uh, Stanley. We need to wait and see uh, how the UN Secretary General's visits or uh, meetings with Putin and Zelensky uh, go through and what emerges from those meetings. And uh, maybe once that happens, things will uh, clear up a little bit more and we can probably come back and uh, review those developments. Thank you so much. Pleasure talking. Thanks, Tom. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.